Welcome back to Tuesdays with Tim, the podcast that touches on all things related to brain injuries among children and those impacted by my son, Luke. Today, we are blessed to have Dr. Brandon Crawford on with us. Dr. Crawford is a fellow of the International Board of Functional Neurology with a specialty in childhood neurodevelopmental disorders. Dr. Crawford, it's a pleasure to have you. Thanks for having me, Tim. I really appreciate this opportunity and fully support everything that you've been doing. Well, thank you so much. And and Dr. Crawford is in, in Austin, Texas, and Luke in 2021 came to you. Um, because we had heard such great things. We had a conversation prior. Uh, laser therapy is something that, that as an executive director of our nonprofit, a lot of families ask me about my experience with, with um, coming to see you in Austin. And I felt that Luke made some real strides, especially in week two, where he was more alert, that he was more responsive. Um, First, tell us your background, and and then I want to certainly get into exactly what you're doing each and every day. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks. So basically what you said, right? So I'm a fellow of the International Board of Functional Neurology with a specialty in uh, childhood neurodevelopmental disorders. And what that means is I look at uh, functional changes in the brain. So it's always important to acknowledge ablative lesions and MRIs and tumors and all of these things. And that's, uh, of course, you know, a priority of things. But then we have to deal with functional change, right? Because what you see on those imaging uh, scans and everything, that's not always a good predictor of your outcome. And what we need to be able to do is examine and evaluate the patient and then apply those findings to then leverage neuroplasticity in the brain so that we can create sustainable change. Now, what we need to do also is we need to acknowledge that there is this natural progression of how the brain is supposed to develop. Uh, but what we've actually done is we've developed a methodology that we call NeuroSolution ESM methodology. ESM stands for Energy, Sensory, and Movement. And what we found is if we follow the proper path, the proper tra- trajectory to neurological development, but then we also adhere to principles regarding cellular energy, we get better results faster. And so basically what I mean by that is when you look at the cell, uh, ultimately, if we can heal one cell, we can heal, heal all the cells, right? And so if we have the situation where we have a brain injury, there's something called a, uh, an energy crisis that initially occurs. And the way I describe this is uh, several years ago in Texas, we had that deep freeze. Do you remember? Yeah, y'all were sure probably did. hit like sure crazy did. in Lubbock. I mean, uh, and so what happened? Everyone went inside. Uh, everyone cranked up the heat. And we started having rolling blackouts because the energy grid was taxed. Well, that actually happens in the brain after a brain injury. It can happen after a mild brain injury, moderate, severe. It's there. It's there every single time. And it's very well stated in, in the literature that it's there. And the crazy thing is, to me, I think it's crazy, is that traditional medicine disregards it. They don't acknowledge it. They say, just rest, lay in bed and rest. And ultimately, that's not really what's going to help resolve that energy crisis. And if we don't get over that, we're going to have some major plateaus in care, simply because the, the cell doesn't have proper energy in order to produce the proteins and able to fire the neurons, et cetera, so that we can actually create more change, right? And so that's where we started going, okay, how do we produce proper cellular energy? Well, light is a huge generator of cellular energy. We have this thing called the mitochondria that's inside the cell, Okay, the mitochondria has something called an electron transport chain. So ultimately what happens is you have electrons moving through this chain within the mitochondria, 
Uh, you also have protons in the form of hydrogens. And what happens is you start spitting out ATP. And ATP is like the fuel source for your cell. Well, <clears throat> there's five different complexes in the electron transport chain. Two of them are heavily impacted by light. And what I mean by that is if we have inadequate light, we get a reduction in cellular energy. What is inadequate light? Well, that's when we're inside under fluorescent lights. And so the high frequency white and blue lights, so 400 to 400 nano, nanometer white, uh, white and blue light, that actually disrupts the electron transport chain. That actually starts to reduce cellular energy. Um, proper wavelengths would be the far infrared, infrared, red, those types of wavelengths. Why? Well, if we go outside, we're in sunlight. We're designed to be outside, right? Um, I think that I don't think anyone can argue that we were designed to be inside under fluorescent lights. Um, and if you look at the sun, what's happening is it's creating fission. And so what's happening with that is you have this fission reaction, which then creates a ton of red and infrared light. So we literally are designed to be saturated with red and infrared light. And when we have the proper wavelength exposure to light, we start producing more cellular energy. And so as I began to really fully understand this, it was crystal clear that sitting in a hospital under fluorescent lights or sitting in a dark room or sitting in front of a TV or all of these things, this is very disadvantageous for anyone with even a mild brain injury because it's making the brain starve even more. And let alone if you're in that environment and then you go to PT or then you go to some kind of therapy. And what are we doing? We're trying to push systems. We're trying to rehab systems. And cells are, are starving for energy. And so you're going to hit plateaus. And so we have to re first resolve this energy crisis. And that's where the use of laser and light therapy has been huge and very profound in my clinical practice. And that's how we help people push through plateaus is by supplying proper wavelengths of light so we can really drive that electron transport chain and help with sustainable change in function. You know, you're the owner of the Neurosolutions Center in Austin, and I have been there a number of times since Luke passed, and every time I'm there, you have a number of patients from not only all over the country, but all over the world, and I'm, I know that you've seen from what you would imagine to be dire to um, children that have um, improved from let's say, speaking fairly well to speaking very well to not great movement to very good movement. For Luke, it was just to see if we could be more alert. And you mentioned something earlier about MRI. Based on Luke's MRI, quote, he will never use his limbs, use his voice, or open his eyes. And, of course, he did all three. So I learned early on that basing something on an MRI is, at best, a baseline. Tell me about the patients that you see and some of the miraculous stories that you have helped because of laser therapy. Absolutely. Well, one of them I'll have to be kind of careful to describe, but it was um, one of the, the one of the worst case scenarios. Uh, and I worked on them with a business partner of mine, uh, Kyle Daigle. Um, and this patient was actually care flighted uh, in. Um, and this patient was actively dying. Uh, I'm talking actively dying. Um, came in with, you know, the full EMS team. Uh, heart rate was dropping, autonomics, everything was, was not in a good place. Um, ultimately, there was a point in time when everything flatlined. Um, and the interesting thing was no one thought anything about sending him to us because essentially they'd been through everything else. And this is what the parents wanted. And they said, look, your, your system failed us. 
we're, we'll sign all the waivers. Let's, let's go. Um, and so they came in, um, we started doing what at the time was really just kind of minimal types of stimulus because you can't just start blasting that person with tons of sensory stimulus. You'll cause some problems. But the main thing we did was apply proper laser and light therapy. We did it over major blood supplies. We did it, you know, in, in the ways that we've, uh, the methods that we've developed and we started applying just very strategic um, types of neurological stimulus. And this person woke up. And when I say woke up, went from flatline to alive again. Um, that person was able to become more coherent, began talking, uh, began planning, began, you know, moving around, eating again, et cetera, right? And so that was within a short period of time. Um, we've had uh, even genetic conditions like pontocerebellar atrophy uh, and things like that where, of course, you know, some of these uh, parents are told your, your child's brain will never develop, they'll never roll, they'll never, never will crawl, talk, et cetera. Well, there's kids with that diagnosis that are rolling, pulling up, talking, vocalizing, doing all these things. Um, and, and it's just amazing to know that it doesn't necessarily matter what the genome is. doesn't matter what the MRI says. The brain will never stop trying to change, period. There's, it's just not going to happen. That's not how the brain works. Um, we even have, you know, there was a study done on hospice patients. Um, and they were trying to prove that neuroplasticity either is or is not present in this very old population saturated with opiate medications, right? This is the population that would not have neuroplasticity. Uh, well, they, so they took this group of 80 to 90 year olds, heavily medicated, actively dying. And what they saw is that they actually do still have neuroplasticity. Their, their brain is still actually actively changing. So the brain never stops changing. Um, and, and that's, why, whenever I have a patient in front of me or a parent in front of me and they say, will my ch child ever fill in the blank? The answer is, I don't know, but we sure as heck will try, right? There is always hope. There's always possibility for a functional change in the brain. We just have to figure out how to leverage the, the systems that are intact to then build neuroplasticity. Um, some things that we really, I really enjoy working with, uh, obviously any type of brain injury. I, I, I really love the brain injury um, community because every brain injury is different. Mm -hmm. Um, but then also dystonia, uh, various movement disorders, which this can be a byproduct of certain types of brain injuries. Um, but dystonias to me are interesting because again, every single one of them are different. They're going to present differently. Um, we get these fluctuations in muscle tones and sometimes it's more from like a direct physical injury, like a blunt force trauma. Sometimes it's a chemical toxicity or uh, a nutrient deficiency or an autoimmunity, but it's just interesting, you know, how so many different things can produce, um, you know, so, so many different symptoms in the body. Um, we've had patients with, um, moderate to severe dystonia actually within weeks, uh, become 75 to 80% better. And that's with no medications. That's, that's literally just leveraging laser and light therapy and proper neurological stimulus. Um, so the, the range of things that we see, I mean, are, it's quite broad. Um, I mean, even neurodevelopmental disorders, uh, autism, I've, I've had severe autism cases, um, literally lose a diagnosis of autism. Uh, I have a story of that on my Instagram page, um, and it's happened more than once. And whenever you start to see these things happen over and over again, you really, I mean, I really start to question, uh, what is and I don't want to say this in a bad way because there, there's always a place for traditional medicine. I think that there's a need for it. But what is the ultimate goal? If we're not listening to these parents and we're not listening to these stories, 
and we're just telling people this is how it is because of your genetics, because of your MRI, because of whatever, then what ultimately is the goal? Uh, within that that hospital or whatever, right? And again, we we need it. You know, acute care is is definitely needed. Medication is needed, but it it's kind of disheartening sometimes whenever I hear these stories. When a parent calls up, comes to Austin, has a, a week long intensive, can you give me a bit of a broad scope of what that parent and that child will be doing for that week? Absolutely. So it has to start with a, an exam and an evaluation. Um, and we've developed the neurodevelopmental uh, exam. And so it starts with evaluating sensory systems and then primitive reflexes, postural reflexes, core stability, vestibular balance, eye movements, and cognition. Um, and we evaluate in that order because there's a hierarchy to care. Um, just like a baby was designed to crawl before they walk, our brain has this blueprint that it has to go through in order to get a fully functioning neocortex. Um, and so, you know, you wouldn't take a three-month-old baby, stand them up on their feet and say, all right, it's time to walk. They don't have the structural integrity. They don't have the neurological integrity, et cetera. And so we first have to figure out where do we start. So the exam is going to then outline what we're going to do that week. So we will follow that ESM methodology. We will start with energy. We will move to sensory. We will move to movement. What, sen- what energy sensory movement modalities we use will be dictated by that exam. Maybe we'll spend most of our time in the sensory systems, doing primitive reflexes, trying to establish proper postural reflexes so that that person can begin to crawl, can begin to walk, right? But if you don't have those postural reflexes intact, that's like you're hopping and you're propping and you're head riding. So if you start to fall, you can catch yourself. That's, that's something I see often, right? Rather than just trying to get someone up and walking, we first have to create these safety mechanisms for that person. So we do that, and then we start working on our core stability, et cetera, right? So we first have to figure out what's going on, and then we'll apply the ESM methodology per the exam. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Now, of course, we're using laser therapy along every step of the way, but we're using it differently. So in that energy phase, we're using it to prime systems, to increase blood flow, increase cellular energy. But then during our sensory and our movement uh, category of care, we're using it in a form of what we call co-activation. And so we'll activate a part of the brain and then we'll use laser therapy either while we're activating or right after we're activating so that we can help to create more growth factors and more neuroplasticity in that specific area of the brain. In my two weeks at your clinic with, um, with Luke, uh, I was not only impressed with the strategy and the plan that you had, but also with your staff. And, and that's what I think attracts so many people to you because of word of mouth the staff is wonderful. Um, you've got an incredible group of, of, of ladies and men that actually you know that care about the patient. And I think that really sets you apart. And, and I have such admiration for therapists, nurses, and doctors, but even more so when I spend a week or even a couple of days and watch what you do and, and how you do it. Uh, I knew that Luke was going to improve because I saw therapists that understood that Luke uh, love the saints, and they would talk about the saints or Drew Brees, and and so there was that trying to the relationship, and so I was very impressed with that, and, and in one week, I felt like uh, it was almost like a family, and so you've really uh, put together quite quite a staff, and I'm sure you're very proud of that. I'm extremely proud of that. That that is 
outside of any kind of laser, I mean, I've, I've been a part of designing lasers. I'm developing new ones right now, and I've done other types of IP. I have all these things. But you're right. The best thing that I, that I feel like myself and my wife have done uh, is actually get, attract this team. Uh, and I don't want to take any credit for that because uh, the way that we do that is very simple. When we need a new hire, we pray about it. That's literally what we do. Uh, and someone either comes, you know, that very next day. What One time someone literally showed up two hours uh, after we did that. Uh, and then sometimes, you know, one time it took about six months. But I know that if we do that uh, and we wait, we give God proper time to, to work his magic, the right people are going to show up. And when the wrong people show up, I've been fortunate enough to to have some dis- discernment about that. So we've, we have been very, very faith-led in selecting the team. Um, I mean, I'll be honest, I'm not really looking over resumes. I'm not looking at academics. I mean, of course, someone has to be, you know, an accredited physician and all those things, yes. But I, that's not what I'm necessarily evaluating that person on. Uh, this is, it's a very faith driven process and you're right. We've been extremely fortunate. Um, I'm, I'm in awe every day when I go into that office and I hear the conversations that are going on I see the level of care that not just from an intellectual standpoint, but you're right from a caring, like an empathetic standpoint, a parent that, um, their child just had an accident a month ago or six years ago. Does it matter how long it's been in order to help with laser? Um, yes and no. Uh, it, the sooner the better. Okay. And, and there are, there are studies on that, right? Um, one study, I believe it was 2017. It was done by Harvard, uh, said that laser and light therapy should be the primary modality used for traumatic brain injury. Uh, and what they're saying is it should be applied first. It should be like on the way to the hospital, when they're in the hospital, we should be putting some form of laser light therapy on this individual. Um, so the sooner the better. And again, it's all about that energy crisis. Uh, it helps to prevent secondary injury, right? Because you can have this primary injury, but then you start to see things like the no reflow phenomenon. You start to see these reperfusion uh, type of injuries with anoxic brain injuries. Um, so yes, the sooner the better. However, um, I've seen people five years out, 10 years out, 25 years out, uh, and we still are able to create very good change. So hope is never lost. We can always create some form of neuroplasticity. How does someone get in to see you? It's a good question. Uh, so they can, uh, we do have a website, uh, for my Austin location. It's neurosolutionatx.com. Um, the best email is going to be admin. So A D M I N at Austin C is in cat D is in dog M is in Mary.com. Um, and yeah, you can reach out to us that way. You have been so instrumental with team Luke hope for minds since the day I met you, uh, with Luke in 2021 and have been a keynote speaker for our conference. Uh, I guess my last question would be, what is it like to speak in front of whether it's one person or 150 at our conference, knowing that you are giving information to someone who is so desperate to hear it? Yeah, so th- this is the, the honest truth. Um, I've I've been fortunate enough to lecture around the world. Um, I've been in front of, uh, I think it was a crowd of 3,000 people before. That's kind of my biggest so far. I'm going to have more. It'll happen. Um, but there is nothing like 
this conference. And I'm being serious about that. There's nothing like this conference. Uh, because in this audience, you have the most astute parents. You have people that are laying down their lives every single day. You have people that are clinging on to every single word that everyone is saying because they want to get their child better. So just the, the amount of engagement, um, how real everyone is. Uh, this is, this is absolutely my favorite place to speak. Um, it is the most profound place to speak. And, you know, again, I'll, I'm going to continue to support you guys however I can, but yeah, th- it's amazing to be on this stage. I'll be honest, like it, it is different than ever, anywhere else in the world. Well, I can thank you for what you did for my son. I can also thank you for what you're continuing to do for for so many families. And whenever I talk to someone who has just been to see you, the glowing remarks, and not just in the strategy and what they've seen, but in how they were taken care of as individuals and as caregivers and as parents. So I want to thank you for that. And most importantly, thank you for, for, for being so supportive of Team Luco for Minds. Dr. Brandon Crawford, thank you so much. Thank you.